Thank you for joining us for this week's message at Praise Chapel Paramount. We hope you enjoyed this message from our midweek service with Pastor Isaac Roman. Also, we'd love to hear what God has done in your life. To hear your story, email us at info at pcparamount.org. Again, we hope you enjoy this message. So it's good to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, it's a good spirit in this place. I, I, Pastor Omar said it well. Is, is the anointing of God is here, and um, you know I, I just felt it so uh, so strong during during the worship service and throughout the service. Now I'm, I'm sure you know some people are saying, well, how do you know the spirit of the Lord is here? Well, the Bible, right? It says where two or three are gathered, He's here, and so I can confidently say that the spirit of the Lord is here tonight. And so I'm just I'm excited to to minister tonight. I'm excited to to share. Uh, a thought, and really, I'm going to just kind of get into it. I usually have a, a cool story. I, I'm going to be, I'll be very honest, I was looking for some jokes, and I just felt like the jokes didn't necessarily fit well with my message, and so my message is a little, uh, my, my message is, is not necessarily heavy, but I just, I just feel um, the heaviness of the truth that, that I want to share tonight, and so tonight, uh, my message, I've titled it Calibrate. Say that with me. Say Calibrate. 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 And I think um, often in our lives, uh, we need a, a calibration every once in a while in, in our lives, and especially during this season, the Christmas season, the holiday season. And so really what I'm going to be talking about is, is something called Advent, and I'm sure most of you have heard of that. Maybe some of you don't necessarily know what Advent is, but that's, what I'm, that's, that's basically the, the message that I'm going to be sharing tonight. Um, before, I, before I go any further, I just want to pray. If you would, just bow your heads and, and pray with me. So Father, we thank you tonight. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. And I pray tonight, God, that your truth, as it's, as it's spoken, Father, that your Holy Spirit would begin to transform our lives and give us understanding and revelation and discernment of, of the truth, God, of, of the great gift that you've given each and every one of us in your Son in salvation. And so we thank you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So how many of you are excited for Christmas? Okay, some, some, okay. How many of you were way more excited about Christmas when you were younger? Right? So isn't it weird how, you, and I was thinking about my mom while I, was, while, I was, um, while I was writing this sermon because my mom was like crazy for Christmas. I mean, she was like, she, she was just, that was her favorite season and she would just go all out. But I, I was thinking about why is it that we lose that, that excitement or, or that joy as we get older, um, I, I think a lot of us could, could answer that. You know, there's, there's different stresses and there's different responsibilities and all these different things that kind of move us away from that real, that, that real pure anticipation and expectation of something great that's going to happen, right? Is that all right? So I remember when I was younger how excited I would get during the Christmas season the indications of the Christmas season was, was this, and, and, and again, this is when I was growing up, so driving around with my mom in the minivan, it was Coast 103.4 would start playing Christmas music, right? And I think they still do that, right? So, so it would be Coast 103.4, the Christmas music start, starts going. I remember uh, Candy Cane Lane, right? So we'd, we'd take our trips to Candy Cane Lane and Torrance, or, or there's a couple of different ones, and all the lights and all these different things. Uh, one of the biggest things for me when I was younger was winter break, right? So you had, you had two weeks, no school, and you're, you're going to hang out. You're going to go to your friend's house, your cousin's house, all these different things. 
Um, and so in that time, it was like this endless, this endless sea of possibilities and, and this anticipation of something that, you know, what was I going to get from my parents, right? So as a kid, let's be real, all we're worried about is what am I going to get, right? And I had siblings. I have, I, I have uh, two of my siblings here tonight with me. Um, but I, there, there, was, there was four of us. And so I never necessarily cared about what they were getting. I want to know what I was getting because it was all about me, right? And so I remember Christmas Eve, and, and everyone's done this, I know, um, you know, begging your parents to open up that one gift, whatever it is, right? So you've already identified it under the tree. You've seen that gift, and you're like, I need to know what, what's in there. Um, so you start begging your parents for, for, that, for that opportunity. Hey, let's just open one gift. And I don't, I don't want to be offensive, but... I think it's a traditional thing, right, in the Hispanic culture that that Christmas is is uh, Christmas Eve, yeah. right? Yeah. So, every, how many of you guys open gifts on Christmas Eve? Right here. You guys were lucky, because right. we weren't. We we had to open up Christmas gifts on Christmas morning, and so we would have to wait. I, would, I was the I was the first one up, and uh, we would have to wait for Christmas morning. And so I remember that anticipation, right? And I would cheat. I would go and rip the corner and see what's going on. I would shake it. All that kind of stuff, right? Put it back where, where I found it, all these different things. And so, again, I just remembered that joy and that anticipation, the expectation of something that was coming my way. But it was all about me. It was all about me. So even growing up now, right? Now I'm, now I'm older and I have kids of my own. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something, and it's one of those if the shoe fits, wear it type of things. I'm going to talk about myself if it applies to you. You, you could go ahead and, and put that shoe on. But now I have my own kids. And if I'm really honest, it's still all about me. And I think if, I think if most of us were honest, it's still all about us. Right? So what can I get my kids to prove that I love them? And to everyone else how much I love them. Sometimes we put self-inflicted pressure to give them the things that I never had. I remember one thing very, very specific. I didn't, I didn't come from a bad, you know, a bad upbringing. I was very fortunate. My parents uh, were just very fortunate. So we weren't rich or anything like that, but I didn't necessarily um, need for anything. I wanted for many things, but I never necessarily needed for one thing. But I remember one thing that I felt like I needed, and it was Jordans. Jordans, right? I just... not. I just, they would never buy me Jordans. And so I remember this very, very distinct, very, very distinctly. I remember this is that when, when I had kids, um, uh, Madison was, was the first one. I remember this very specifically. I went and bought her Jordans. She was like, I don't know. She was a baby. She was a baby. And I went and bought these Jordans were like $40 for, you know, girl pink Jordans. And I got them because I got them because I never got to get them. How many, how many of you guys do that, that stuff now, right? You give your kids stuff, and you put pressure on yourself to, to provide stuff for your kids that you can have. So, um, so, so we do these things. Um, we, do, we, we, we do this to validate our own success, right? I'm going to do this because it's still about us. I'm going to do this so that I can show everyone I am successful. I could afford that. I could do that. Or even to prove to the world that I'm successful, whatever that means. And so tonight I want to look at an age-old tradition that can help us calibrate our lives back to proper alignment. Listen to this. 
It's not about us. And thank God it's not. So Advent. We're going to talk about Advent tonight. And I'm going to, I'm going to um, define Advent. And then we're going to go through. Uh, most of you know, know my style. I'm going to give you five things that you can look at for Advent to help you move through this holiday season and calibrate your life. So the definition of Advent is this. The arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. In our, in our Christian theology, it's the coming or second coming of Christ. And so there's going to be two Advents, right? So the Advent is the one that we celebrate on the 25th. And, and it's, the, it's the baby and the manger and all that cute stuff. I think, I, I think that in the, in the spirit of calibration, I think that we should consider the, the reason why Jesus came the first time. Think about that. Why did God send Jesus as a baby, into this world. It's because we were broken. Understand that. The reason, the reason God sent Jesus into this world as a baby, the cute, I was going to try to say it in Spanish, I don't, I don't know, my wife helped me, but I, I lost it, but the nativity scene, right? Right? And you got the cute baby Jesus, and, and that makes us feel good. But understand that God sent Jesus into this world because it was a broken world. And he wanted to restore us back to him. We were a sinful people. So tonight I'm going to speak to you about the central message of the gospel. And it's Christ's second coming. And the posture in which us, the church, the bride of Christ, should endeavor to be found in. This is the hope of glory that Paul described in, the Coloss- in, in his letter to the Colossians. And so I understand the feeling of Peter the apostle at the end of his life as he wrote his second letter Twice he told his readers why he was writing to them. In the first chapter, he said, I think it right, as long as as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Then in the last chapter, he said it again. He said, I am stirring you up. I'm I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. And so his, his aim was first to remind them, and then by reminding them to stir them. And so my intention tonight is to remind you and then stir you. Does that, does that make sense? I want to remind you of, of the purpose and really the, the real reason for the season. I know that's cliche, but, but how, many time, how, how many times have we stopped and really considered the, what, what's going on right now? And so the Greek word for stir up is used most often for waking someone from sleep. And that's the way that it was used with Jesus in Mark 4, 39. He says, it says that Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind. So Peter assumed that we needed to be woken up. I know that I continually need awakening, especially during this time. During this time of the season where we're getting busy, we're running around crazy, all these different things, we need a pause. So like you or, or, or like myself, maybe you might find yourself maybe dull or spiritually lazy at times, half-hearted or lukewarm, thinking it's just more of the same. How many of you have that? Just sometimes you're just kind of like bah humbug or like Eeyore, right? I, I, you, ever find, you know people that are Eeyore, like whatever. Just, they just, you know, can't get up for anything. They're just, they're just kind of, they're just moseying along. Maybe that's us in the spirit sometimes. And so Peter knows it in his writing to awaken or to stir us up so that we don't just know superficially 
or even know intellectually, but to get the revelation of this truth. I'm going to say that again. Peter knows it and is writing to awaken us and to stir us up so that we don't just know superficially or even intellectually, but to get the revelation of this truth. God, give us discernment. Help us to understand. Help us, help us, help this truth to grip us and move us to a place of remembrance and patience and, and these different things. Peter said in, in, in 2 Peter 3, 4 through 9, he says this. He says, they will say, and talking about Jesus, they will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forgot that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and the earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Talking about the second coming of Christ. Verse 8 says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Amen. As some understand slowness, instead he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Luke, there, there, there's a discourse in the Gospels, and it's found in Matthew and Mark and in Luke. And I'm going to read this to you. Luke 24, 25 through 28, it kind of all says the same thing in those three different Gospels that I just, that I just shared. And it says this, There will be signs in the sun, moon and stars, on the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world. For the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And so listen. There's a lot of crazy things going on in the world. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things. There's rumors of war and, and all, the, all these indications of what's to come. And, and it says that in those moments, don't be weary. Don't be scared. Matter of fact, when you see that, be joyful because redemption is coming near. I like what this, what this Bible commentator said. And he said this, he said, the preliminary death throes of this present physical universe, let, let me give you some illustration of what he's talking about. When they're talking about the perplexity and the shaking and the, and the sun and the, and the signs in the sun and all these different things, this is all the earth re responding to what is to come. It, it's, it's similar to this, and maybe you've seen it in person, hopefully you haven't, but maybe in a movie. When someone is passing away and they begin to shake violently, has, have you seen that? Like in the movies? No? Yes. Someone. Okay. But it's that moment of transition where, thing, where something is going to happen and the body begins to shake violently. That's, what, that, that's the imagery that, that he's painting here for us. And so the preliminary death throes of this present physical universe, which will strike terror to the souls of those who have limited themselves to material hopes will be to the Christian a reassuring sign 
since he looks for a new heaven and a new earth. And so for some, that should be terrifying. For us in this room, this should be encouraging. You understand what I'm saying? It's going to strike terror to the souls of those who have limited themselves to material hopes. But to the Christian, it's a reassuring sign since he looks for a new heaven and a new earth. Now, listen to this. I'm not going to get into... Uh, I'm not going to get into eschatology, what's going to happen when that all comes down. I'm not going to go there. I'm not smart enough, so I, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'll, I'll say this. I, I remember my dad used to tell me this all the time um, because eschatology has a lot of different avenues and a lot of different thoughts. He says this. He, he always told me this. He said, I'm a panist. And I said, what does that mean? And he said, I believe that everything's going to pan out in the end. So are we going to be here for the tribulation? Are we going to be here for, I don't know. But we could be panis, right? Everything's going to pan out in the end. God is sovereign. God is going to figure it out for us. Thank you, Pastor. So I agree with that, and we, sh- and we should all too. And so what I did here was I wanted to build some context as, as we move towards these five different things that we could look to during the season of Advent. And, and so just so you know, Advent starts the fourth Sunday before, uh, before Christmas. And so, um, and, and, and there's, there's a lot of tradition. I'm not necessarily going to get into that. I'm not necessarily going to get into the, to, to, to the, um, the religious mechanics of all of that. Um, if, if you do that, by all means, please do that. Um, but it, it should move us in a place in our hearts to deep understanding and deep reverence to God. And so with the same expectation and joyful anticipation of our youth, for Christmas season, let's look at these five things that we can learn by observing Advent. You guys ready for it? All right, you guys got your pen because I'm going to do it really neat. You're going to have bullet points and everything. It's going to be great. All right? Okay. So number one. Number one. We are not the center of God's plan. We are not the center of God's plan. I, I appreciate um, PCBI conference, um, Joseph Marquez, uh, what he shared was, it, it, was, it was wonderful, and it, it kind of, it, it may rattle some of, the, some, of, some of us here, but he said this, he said that we are not the hero in the story. You are not the hero in the story. I know it feels good for me to tell you, you know, you are, but you're not. We're not. And we should be thankful for that. We are not the center of God's plan. So we have an opportunity to calibrate our perspective, what God ha- uh, that God has a grand, a grand plan for history that's much larger than just you and your world. With the emphasis on gift-giving that captures our cultural holiday, we tend to focus on our small corner of the world. One man says this, he says, In the midst of a season that might shrink our gaze, God reminds us to pan the camera back out to the larger scope of God's purposes for history. Before the foundations of the world, God wrote the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain in Revelations 13.8, a story that's culminating in the marriage of the Lamb and his bride. The Lamb is Jesus. This is, this is Advent. This is what we're anticipating. We're anticipating the rapture, the second coming of Christ, the physical second coming of Christ. We believe that in this church, right? We, we absolutely do. 
Sometimes we don't like to talk about it because, again, it strikes some, some anxiety in some of us. But ultimately, understand that this is the story. This is the central message of the gospel. This is it right here. This is an amazing truth that we are included in his grand plan, but we are not the main characters in the story. Jesus is the main character in the story. Jesus is the hero. Amen? Amen. Number two. Doing great on time. Number two. Peace during a frantic season. Advent, when we observe and we think about God and we think about Jesus and the second coming, it should bring peace in a season where we're filled with turmoil, stress, and everything else. So the Christmas holiday, especially in our culture, seems to be on a pace towards insanity. Just look at the stampeding crowds on Black Friday. I have a video. I'm sure we've all seen it, but we're going to show a video. Maybe. There we are. That was some of you guys, huh, on Black Friday? Nah. They get live. All right. You guys, you guys get it. <laughs> We're on a pace towards insanity. Some of you guys are going crazy in, in the mall, in the parking lot getting mad at people because of parking spots and all this stuff, and I was waiting there, and you got it all figured out. We're going crazy over, over this stuff. So college students, you guys are busy studying for finals. Parents, myself, we're thinking about all the gifts and, and trying to figure that out with the budget and trying to figure out when we're going to go do that and all these different things. Some of us are planning trips to go visit relatives, and these are... These are all, they're okay. These are good, they're okay. But we need to understand that there's peace in the midst of all of the storm. So a time of reflection provides an opportunity to slow the pace and remember the deliberateness of God. Galatians 4.4 4 says that he completed his promise in the fullness of time. So we must discipline ourselves to pause and reflect in a season that could otherwise drown out reflection and be still before God. In the season, and it takes, it, it takes discipline, it takes intentionality for us to say, I'm, feel, I'm feeling anxiety, my heart's pumping fast, I don't know how I'm going to make this work, I got to buy this gift for that person, I got to buy this person, all these different things, right? And sometimes people buy us gifts that we're, we didn't buy gifts for, so now we feel obligated to buy them gifts. Yes? Yep. Yep. And so we're, we're, we're trying to figure this stuff all out. And we're missing. We're missing the reason. Is this good? That was, number, that was number two. Okay, number three. Number three is patience. Everyone, everyone responded to that. Yeah, help me. Pray for me. Galatians 5.22 says, Patience 
is a fruit of God's Spirit. So by remembering the longing for Christ's first coming, we see God's mercy. Listen to this. God did not rush into swift destruction of his enemies and triumph over his kingdom as he could have, as he should have. But every moment of God's patience is an opportunity for repentance for those who would otherwise be destroyed in his final coming. Understand, God is modeling the right behavior for us. His patience, you know, I don't want to get too far ahead in in my sermon, but his patience, there are people longing. There have been generations begging and pleading for Christ to come back. There have been those that have been in suffering, and there's been those that have been in torment and persecution and all these different things, praying for God to come back. Give them relief. Give them deliverance. And understand the patience of God is so that we could, so that just one more person could repent. Your loved ones. The people that you're praying for. So as the Lord tarries, so to speak, that's an old cliche. As the Lord tarries, understand the patience of God was for you, was for me, it was for our loved ones. So we behold the patience of Jesus, and by beholding him, we are transformed more into his likeness by God's spirit. That's number three, patience. Number four, it provides perspective in Christian discontentment. Now, I'm going to have to explain this because I already know you guys are already, well, maybe you guys are judging me. Because we talk about, we talk about Paul, right? And Paul says that I'm content in all things. And I, in every situation, I'm, I'm good. God's grace is sufficient. I, I, I subscribe to that. And I'm not saying don't believe that. But there's a second, there's a second thing. And, and getting to that point takes some spiritual maturity. Would you agree with that? I would say that most of us struggle in being content in the place that we're at. Right? So that takes some discipline. Now, the second part to this, the, the, the flip side of that, is Christian discontentment. And what that means, I'll explain. Romans 8.23 speaks of the first fruits of the Spirit by groaning inwardly. You guys, heard, you guys read that scripture before, right? That, that there's groaning inwardly. So we hear the echo of martyrs under the altar of God in Revelation 6.10 crying out, How long, O Lord? It shouldn't take much searching to find reasons to grow in righteous discontentment living in this broken world, moving us towards passionate prayer for relief. Now listen to this. How many of us, life is tough. Maybe our kids are going crazy. Maybe our family is going, our spouse is going crazy, whatever it is. And we're, there's righteous discontentment. We're saying, God, you need to do something. Something needs to happen here. This person needs to change. This person needs to come back to you. This person needs to repent. Whatever it is, that's righteous discontentment. You're not okay with people that are lost. You're not okay. That doesn't sit well with you. It doesn't sit well with you that your coworkers are going to hell. It doesn't sit well with you that your friends and your family and these people that you pass by that you're rubbing shoulders with are going to hell. It doesn't sit well with you. It doesn't sit well that 
marriages are, are on the rocks and things are falling apart and all these different things, it doesn't sit well with you. That's righteous discontentment. So we need to remember similar cries for the first coming of Christ and join their cry for the second coming. Listen to this. I kind of alluded to this, but think about the children of Israel. Think about the, uh, um, uh, the exiles in Babylon. They were praying, and, and, and generations had been told of this, this coming Messiah. And they were crying out and praying for deliverance for generations and generations and generations and generations. Then Jesus shows up. That's the first advent. Right? And so Jesus comes, and, 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 and he fulfills the will of God on earth. And then he goes. Goes back to the Father. And then you have the disciples and the apostles and the martyrs, everyone that's come after that, that has been longing and praying and pleading for the return of the Messiah, the second coming. And so we need to remember the similar cries for the first coming of Christ and join their cry for the second coming. That's number four, providing perspective in Christian Christian discontentment. Number five. Number five confirms our confidence in the promises of God. Number five confirms our confidence in the promises of God. That's probably, that's actually a good place to say amen or, you know, get excited about that. Okay. All right. It confirms our confidence in the promises of God. So finally, as we reflect on God's faithfulness to his promises in the past, how many, I say this often, I feel like I say this all the time when I'm up here, but. How many of you remember what God has done in your life? Like you remember where you were and, and now where you're at. And, you know, we understand we're not where we, you know, where we want to be, but we're not where we're, you know, however that goes. We, we, we all know that, right? And we say that, we rattle that off. But do you really, really remember how jacked up you were and how hopeless your situation was? I remember I was talking to, since Marla's here, I was talking to Jason, and I, um, uh, on Saturday, I was, I was privileged, my wife and I were privileged to be there and helping them and, and all that stuff, and, and I, I, said this, I said this to Jason um, as I was leaving, I went in, and we went and said, you know, bye to them and took pictures, and I told Jason this, I said, I'm so proud of you, and then uh, we talked the next day, and I, and I told him, I said, that's a very loaded statement, I, I can't really capture, um, you know, all of my thoughts, I'm, maybe I'm not that good with my words, but what I meant was I'm so proud of him because there was a time in his life that he was completely hopeless. If you know his story, he was in prison, and he, he was done. And now to be able to walk in the blessing of God, being married and, 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 and all these different things, we, we need to remember. Yeah, amen. We need to remember where God saved us from. Sometimes we get a little, we get a little full of ourselves. I'm, I'm with you too. I'm with you too. So finally, as we reflect on God's faithfulness to His promises in the past, the things that He's come through for us, time and time again, we are reassured in the promises we yet await. And so, God, because You did it then, and I saw it, and there's fruit of it in my life, I know that You're going to do it again. Right? 
And so it confirms our confidence in the promises of God. So Jesus said he is coming soon, Revelations 22, 12. I'll get there in a minute. And though our concept of soon may seem to have a different calibration than our Lord's, the Holy Spirit strengthens our faith by tracing, listen to this, the Holy Spirit strengthens our faith by tracing the accuracy of God's faithfulness to his people throughout history. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. And the faithfulness, generation after generation after generation. Read the Old Testament. God is like, God is like upset with himself because he's putting up with us. He has internal dialogue about how long am I going to have to suffer with you? How long am I going to have to put up with you? How long? Right? All the way back to it's not about us. He says for his name's sake, for his name's sake, he won't destroy. For his name's sake. That's a different, that's a different sermon. So the Holy Spirit strengthens our faith by tracing the accuracy of God's faithfulness to his people throughout history. And so the confidence in the second coming of Christ does a lot of things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name just, just a couple. The first thing is inspires missional living. Inspires missional living. I, I, I'm, reading a, I, I'm reading a book called God's Generals, and, um, and I came across the Moravians. Has anyone ever heard of the Moravians? Yes, some of us. I saw some heads nodding. The Moravians were inspired to missional living. If, 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 you, if you read their story, they were a sect of people that were seeking religious freedom. Um, someone, you know, someone rich helped them out. Um, and, and out of that movement was the most missionaries ever launched into America, you know, for what that's worth, but launched into America. And to be a part of them, you had to commit to this missional living lifestyle. You had to live communally. You had to work towards that, all these different things. They were living missionally. Amen? Matthew 24, 14 says that, Yet through it all, this joyful assurance of the realm of heaven's kingdom will be proclaimed all over the world, providing every nation with a demonstration of the reality of God. And after this, the end of this age will arrive. So the confidence in the second coming of Christ should inspire us towards missional living. And when we start living for a mission, we start living for other people, stuff and materialism, kind of, there's no room there. And so what are we doing for other people? Right? I, I, this is free. I remember um, Pastor Omar gave me this book, and I was reading this book, and, and it was a book about discipleship. And, um, and, and there, was, there, was, uh, there was three questions that you always ask a disciple. And the first question is, how good is God? That's the first question, because we're talking about calibrating. If you're posed that question, how good is God, you're going to have to respond to that based on how good God is in your life. So the first question is, how good is God? The second question is, how good are you, how good are you at serving God's people? So God first, other people second, right? And the third question is, how are you doing? You get there eventually, right? After you calibrate that conversation. And so what we do for others means so much more than what we could do for ourselves. The next thing is, it reveals the need for intimate Christian relationship. Reveals the need for intimate Christian relationship. Hebrews 10.25 says this, This is not the time to pull away 
and neglect meeting together. As some have formed the habit of doing, because we need each other. I'll say that one more time. Because we need each other. In fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage and urge each other onward as we anticipate that day dawning. And so in these days, in, in these days where things are going crazy, it's not a time for us to pull away from each other. It's not a time for us to, to leave the church or leave life group, leave connect group, whatever it is, and pull away and isolate ourselves. But even more so, when times are crazy, when times are, are pulling us you know, different ways and things like that, we need to be in church. Every time the doors of the house are open, we need to be in church. We need to be in a prayer meetings because we need each other. We need to encourage each other, and we need the encouragement back. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we have, we have these five things, right? And these are, these are all truths. These are all things that should bring joy to our, our hearts and, and warm us. All these different recalibrate the way that we think, the way that we approach even the Christmas season, but really every single day of our lives. Now, there's a second part to this, right? So there's hope, and, 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 and that's all good. But what do we do? What happens if we fail to realize all of these great truths, all of these great things that are supposed to stabilize our lives and, and strengthen us and, and give us confidence and, and all these different things? If we miss it, then what? So Moses warned Israel about this in his discourse in Deuteronomy. And this is pretty heavy. Deuteronomy 28, 58 through 68. Ten verses, I'm going to read them all. It says this, it says, If you do not carefully follow all the words of this law, so he's talking about, he's talking about the law, right? Which are written in this book, and do not revere this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God. So if you don't do that, the Lord will send fearful plagues on you and your descendants, harsh and prolonged disasters and severe and lingering illnesses. He will bring on you all the diseases of Egypt that you dreaded, and they will cling to you. The Lord will also bring on you every kind of sickness and disaster not recorded in this book of law until you are destroyed. You who are as, number, as numerous as the stars in the sky will be left, but few in number, because you did not obey the Lord your God. Just as it pleased the Lord to make you prosper and increase in number, so it will please him to ruin and destroy you. This is heavy. This is not the sermon that people like to hear. You will be uprooted from the land you are entering to possess. Then the Lord will scatter you among all nations from one end of the earth to the other. There you will worship other gods, gods of wood and stone, which, which neither you nor your ancestors have known. Listen to this. Among those nations you will find no repose, no resting place for the sole of your foot. I, as I was reading this, I, I want you, to, I want you to, to kind of put this in perspective. We're talking about generations ago, Right? Thousands of years ago, I think. Yeah, thousands of years ago. Thousands of years ago. But, but maybe some of us kind of could relate to some of these things that, that Moses is telling the children of Israel. He says, among those nations, you will find no repose, no resting place for the sole of your foot. How many of us are tired? 
Just life is just beating us up. We're just tired. The Lord, there the Lord will give you an anxious mind, eyes weary with longing, and a despairing heart. You will live in constant suspense, filled with the dread, filled with the dread both night and day, never sure of your life. In the morning you will say, if it were only evening, and in the evening, if it were only morning, because of the terror that you will fill your hearts, that you will fill your hearts in the sights that your eyes will see. The Lord will send you back in ships to Egypt on a journey that I said you should never make again. There you will offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. If we fail to capture any of those five things, and there's many more. I'm, I'm not saying that that was, that was it. But if we fail, if we miss that, this is our alternative. A life full of misery and anxiety. And, and, and sometimes, we, sometimes we think that we have it all together, and, and we don't. Our lives are full of stress and, and anxiety and, and, and all these different things. God never wanted that for his people. You read the Bible in the Old Testament time and time again. God, God was trying to save us from ourselves. We couldn't get out of our own way. And time and time again, he would come and he would deliver and he would bring judges and he would all these different things, raise people up and, and bring deliverance and, and all these different things. And so in closing, I, I could have, the, I could have the, the worship team come up. In closing, really the thought is this, is maybe we need to recalibrate our lives. In this season... What's going on? Christmas season. Maybe we just need to recalibrate our lives and, and, and refocus on the things that are important. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.